Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert-Kennedy. That's right. And folks, we're back. We're back. This is the Science it- Podcast. That's for people who give a shit. Uh, right. Our guests are scientists, doctors, nurses, CEOs, journalists, uh-huh. engineers, uh, farmers, Keep investors, activists, educators, policymakers, uh, even a reverend. And a quick reminder, you can send us questions and thoughts and feedback to us right on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at questions at importantnotimportant.com. That's right. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. That's right. And uh, Brian, this week, uh, we are talking about how to invest in defeating climate change. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell them who our guest is today, Brian. Well, sure. Our guest is Boris Kentov Mm -hmm. from Betterment. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, this was an incredibly thoughtful conversation about what it means to participate in something like the climate fight, uh, where investments are going, and how you can position yourself for both relative safety and success. Uh, That's right. No promises, but lots going on. And things are hopefully going to transform for the better with a lot of work, a lot of participation. Uh, It's going to require the kitchen sink. And part of that is sustainable investing. And That's we right. are so lucky to have Boris on to talk us through that. Brian, let's go do this thing. See if we remember how to do it. Here we go. Okay. Our guest today is Boris Kentov. And together, we're going to find out how you can invest in the future uh, and help fight the climate crisis along the way. Boris, welcome. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. We are to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I guess a, a good way to get going is just do like a quick intro, Boris. Uh, just tell us really quickly, you know, who you are and, and, and what you do. Sure. So uh, I'm the Senior Vice President of Operations at a company called Betterment, which is an online financial advisor, money manager. We've been, uh, been around for about 11 years, launched uh, in 2010. And we help our customers save for retirement and for whatever financial goals that they that they may have, you know, for house down payments, kids college, vacations, things like that. Um, we, uh, at this point, uh, uh, have about 600,000 customers and we manage around 27 billion uh, for, for them on their behalf and including, you know, your general kind of investing accounts, IRAs, 401ks, um, things of that nature. Nice. So you, you guys are small awesome. fries is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. We still in many ways feel like uh, we're small fry uh, because uh, we started out, kind of built built this company from nothing. I've been with Betterment for eight years. When I started, it was maybe about 15 people. And we had something like, I don't know, 10,000 customers oh, wow. uh, for something with like wow. 50 million or whatever. So the exponential growth definitely year over year, you, on the one hand, uh, definitely become attuned to the fact that things are changing and the scale is totally different. But the culture is still, you know, it's a 300-person company. And when you're dealing with, you know, the Fidelities and, and Vanguards and Schwabs uh, as your yeah. primary competitors, like, we still are tiny uh, in many ways, right? Sure, sure. I mean, it says a lot, and we'll, we'll get to this about, about just the this decade that you guys have have been alive and and what the rise of you know passive index funds and things like that have have meant towards that exponential growth it's just 
Mm-hmm. It's wild. I've heard um, of, I've heard of the awesome, saving man. money uh, that you speak of. So, uh, but I haven't really been able to put it into practice. So maybe we could talk after that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it might be a separate conversation. It's, it is, you know, you know, they say saving is ninety percent of investing. Um, uh, basically, just making sure that you're actually putting away sufficient money for your retirement is kind of nine tenths yeah. of the battle. Uh, and then what happens next is the the piece we try to optimize. For. Awesome. <clears throat> all right, we will get into it all. A uh, quick reminder for everyone, uh, what we do here is provide some quick context for our question or our topic today, and then we'll get into action-oriented questions that, that everyone can ask and help do to, to fix uh, what, what's going on out there. Awesome. Boris, we start with one important question to set the tone for this thing. Instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, we'd like to ask, Boris, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I encourage you. I encourage you to be bold and honest. Is this like an overt narcissist <laughs> test? Like, uh, I feel like the high functioning ones are, are not going to fall for this one. But. Right? It can be uh, if you want it to be. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, look. You you know you're you're on the show not just because of betterment, but which is awesome in itself, but because of the moves you guys have made lately, and you're the you know author behind a lot of those. You know, tell us why you feel like you're you're the one to do it. Yeah. No, it's funny. The second thing I thought was like, well, I, you know, I'm Russian and uh, I took in Dostoevsky with, you know, my mother's milk. <laughs> so the, the, just the idea that I am essential, you know, it, it cuts against some pretty deep. I'm just like, my existence has no meaning. Like I'm dust, you know, this is, how am I supposed to answer? Uh, but, but, I, but I think, I don't know, like maybe reframing this a little bit as what type of thing am I drawn towards, which I think has value to the world. Uh, and I'm certainly not the only one. And I think uh, plenty of people sort of have this, have this approach. Uh, and the more, the better, in my opinion, I'm, I'm really, really drawn to complexity. Uh, I just find complexity irresistible. I get, I, I look for it wherever I can. And then I'm kind of just like a pig in shit, you know, I just figure out like, what are all the moving pieces? What are like, what's going on here? And just what's where's the where's the signal in the noise? And then once I'm in there, and once I've kind of had a chance to sort through, or you know, it's really on ongoing basis, just trying to understand a complex system. Mm. I can't. I compulsively can't resist to then start simplifying that complexity. Hmm. Not not to reduce it, uh, you know, and and sort of like uh, shed important uh, texture and granularity, but to tell a story mm. first. I think first and foremost to myself, right? I, it's pattern matching. It's trying to understand kind of where to focus. And then inevitably to anyone else who will listen, I think that's a really important kind of one-two punch of of compulsive behavior, which is in order to effect any kind of change, really to, to drive something that is a long-term uh, process that is not going to provide you with a ton of instant, you know, quick feedback loops and mm where success is far from assured, where you have to motivate, you know, potentially millions of people to, to effect change across like all kinds of, uh, you know, vectors. You want people who appreciate the complexity and you want people who can summarize that in a message that is simple, that mm. people can actually act on because most people are dealing with other problems and they need to be able to trust those who are specialists to sort through the complexity and to distill a simple message that is an action item, right? Or sure. sometimes an inaction item uh, if, if the desire to act is, is sort of irresistible. 
And, and I, that's something that I've just noticed throughout, throughout my career. I just, I tend to do, uh, sort of impulsively without anyone asking. And, uh, I think when it comes to things, things like sustainable investing, it's just, it's proved to be a particularly useful frame because it is beyond complex, sure. but what we really need is simplicity to get people off the sidelines and actually motivate people to start participating in this. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can even go further out. It's, you know, and, and I'm excited to get into it because it seems like you share a lot of my, my, my feelings on this, which is, you know, to attack a problem that's as, as systemic and complicated as something like the climate crisis. Um, you know, like you said, sustainable investing in itself is inherently very complex and intricate. And that's just one piece of the puzzle of the way we have to take the, this thing on. But we also have to really dial it down eventually to a point where people can do something about it and take part in it. Um, because not everyone is, as like you said, uh, um, dialed into to the complexity itself. They don't have time for it. Um, yeah, all investing is generally, you know, it, it's, and yet there's so much of the complexity that traditionally the financial services industry wants you to focus on sure. because it happens to align with you know, their business model and their bottom line. And if you're acting as an advisor in the best interest of a client, there are actually very few things you need the client to focus on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like some of the, some of the apps you'll see in the news these days and kind of like this day trading uh, I, I want to say like epidemic uh, amid, amid a pandemic where you're basically uh, seeing kind of this gamification, right? These like little handheld uh, slot machines where people are sure. just being induced to make transactions, to trade. And uh, so in order to further those kinds of goals, you're trying to surface complexity potentially where you're saying like, oh, look at these prices moving day to day. Look at all these different kinds of options you can buy. Whereas if you're trying to advise someone to save for the long-term or to, you know, effect change that is long-term change, you really have to keep your eyes on the prize and you have to strip out a lot of the complexity that is just confusing and ultimately noise. Well, and it becomes inoperable for a lot of folks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's overload. Yeah. Yeah. But some of us like the overload. Awesome, man. Well, listen, um, so I'm going to just do a minute of quick context here for everybody uh, as we dive into this. We've done some some financial-oriented stuff uh, before, but I, I want to talk about that now because especially now with, um, you know, with a new, at least for, for the moment, a, a new administration and a new Senate, th- there's an opportunity for some tr- pretty transformative things to happen. So, Boris, there's obviously two things that are not so uh, under the water anymore. The first is that you know, the climate crisis is, is, is here as people have said forever, like how do we stave it off? Like it's very much here. There's millions of folks from, from farmers in India to, to black youth in America with, with asthma and, and urban heat. They're already suffering from heat and, and, and pollution related illnesses and deaths. And we've got all these violent natural disasters, uh, and more of them in hurricanes and wildfires and all that, that, that is table stakes now. And the second is that because of those things, uh, investing, whether it's uh, for ourselves or our families, our businesses, or on a federal and global level for our infrastructure, it's more intricately tied to the decisions we make as a people and as a species than 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 ever before. Um, there's there's so many more practical effects, uh, both that we can control and that we can't anymore, that are that are coming down the pipe. You know, we know more uh, about the planet we live on than than ever before. And hopefully just in time, um, because our, our runway for anticipating and dealing with volatile change 
one way or the other is is very short. There are these current facts on the ground and, and what we can extrapolate from them. And then there's just a, a lot of guessing. It's not unlike, uh, speaking of our friend Franklin, it's not un- unlike being a screenwriter. Uh, your career is completely unpredictable. And I, I've spent a fair amount of time thinking and, and reading and, and writing about this, but it, it's pretty clear that we can't, increasingly can't rely on the past to guide our present and our future decision-making uh, that much anymore. And, and we don't quite understand the the depth and, I guess, the breadth of the climate feedback loops that are already baked in, but we do have to start preparing better and more for the for the unexpected. And again, that's on every level, from personal to societal. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, we're in such the infancy, and I know you spent some real time talking about this in, in your post, um, the infancy of, of these ESG-type funds that are doing well, but there isn't even a global standard uh, that's been agreed to even informally for incorporating climate risk into these models, right? So we're at this crossroads and, and there's this huge, incredible potential transformation in front of us with maybe some of the biggest markets ever, but there's a lot of uh, reform that needs to go on. And we had a whole conversation with uh, Rebecca Henderson uh, at HKS uh, about needing to rebuild capitalism for a world on fire, as she put it in her book, From the Inside Out. Um, and, and that also means helping more people participate. It's a great, great interview, by the way. I, oh, thank uh, you, I man. Listen recently. She's mm-hmm. she's out of control. Um, just so smart. Um, so pretty thankful oh, to be able. Pretty to... funny. It's yeah, no, pretty I, hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, her command over this and her passion for it really, really, really matters. And and hopefully we'll we'll move the needle. And I think it is with a lot of folks. But we we also we, we can't just do all these things. We have to make it. And this is part of Rebecca and I talked about. You can't just hire diverse people from your company and say you're doing better. Like you have to help these people. You have to listen to them and, and listen to their values, but also help them participate in and profit from these markets and what could be a much cleaner and more equitable world. And and so that's what I want to focus on today is is investing uh, for yourself and, and your company and your industry in the future and also fighting this crisis at the same time. So uh, Boris, you talked about Betterment started Back 2008, uh, launched in 2010. Crazy time to start an investment platform. Uh, and your founder said, we started Betterment in 2010 in the wake of the financial crisis to be a place to help people do what's right with their money so they can live better. And I mean, so much has changed, right? Index funds are all the rage. We've got the, these uh, the FANG stocks and companies that are such a part of everyday life. Intel uh, missed the boat on mobile. The power sector got crushed. Tesla was building Model 3s in a tent a couple years ago. Uh, You've got the top two equity funds in 2020 by returns are focused on clean energy. A lot of people are prospering, and yet millions haven't been able to participate at all, much less even keep their water on. So I'm curious, despite all the volatility volatility now and, and what's coming down the pipe, why do you feel like Betterment is better prepared for for decade number two of your existence, and and I guess is that still the goal for for people to live better? And what does that mean? The timing is so interesting, right? Because John Stein, our our founder, uh, had you know he was he was working at uh, in the financial service industry. He was he was a consultant to major banks, and uh, he worked for you know three or four years, kind of leading up to the financial crisis. And what he saw was banks that were fundamentally just not aligned with customer interests, right? And this is the story here of, of kind of him uh, 
willing this uh, this new type of investing into existence was really born out of a very, very close observation of just the way that the business as usual dynamics in the financial service industry just didn't even make a pretense as to you know what the customer actually wanted. I mean, we're talking about banks that are just trying to optimize for like more overdraft fees. And there would be he'd be at meetings where you know corporate corporate boards you know listening to their consultants wouldn't even bring up the customer's interests even nominally right as a as like a, a throwaway they literally were just mm-hmm. trying to drive revenues that were clearly zero sum taking money out of people's pockets trying to hide fees trying to jack up the fees that are sort of you know in deep disclosure. All sorts of you know backdoor revenue streams creating the kind of like web of of services that it's is it any surprise that none of this is really you know built around the customer and what's good for the customer's financial well being? No, you know it's it's not because these are bad people. It's because the system is set up to encourage and incentivize the kind of thinking that just drives along those those vectors. So Betterment was really founded. Uh, to to kind of he saw an opportunity to like actually speak to customers and build trust by effectively restructuring the business model such that we don't have we don't make money in ways that people don't understand so we don't have an incentive to stuff you know various fees into into things because we only have one simple fee we just we take it small percentage you know it's a quarter of a percent that we take on mm-hmm. uh, on a person's uh, you know portfolio, whether whether they they're invested, you know, a thousand dollars with us or a million dollars. It's very transparent. And so we, when someone's money, you know, someone's wealth effectively, their their nest egg uh grows, we make more money. So that's the kind of alignment that you want, right? If we're just taking sure. a small, small percentage, we like more money means more revenue for betterment and a better financial outcome for the customer. It's that simple, right? And that Kind of, uh, you know, led to a bit of a an online revolution. I mean, we it, it Betterment created a category which is, uh, you know, we call it digital financial advice because it is uh, the, the the very low fee that uh, traditionally in the industry maybe was one percent, one point five percent. We were able to get it down to a quarter because we used technology because it was fundamentally kind of an online app because all the various complexities that the financial service industry was trying to sell you weren't really good for you. They just made more money for the financial mm. services players. So once you strip out those incentives, it turns out investing advice is really really not that complicated for like 99% of the general public, which is buy index funds, diversify broadly, keep fees low, keep driving fees as low as possible, and uh, you know, don't uh, react to volatility, don't react to trends, because our brains, you know, the cognitive biases that we have built in through from from you know eons of operating in an environment that resembles nothing like the world we live in today mm-hmm. uh, they're just going to cause us to make the wrong decisions almost every time and certainly over you know over time you are just going to trend down to hurting yourself so people are thinking that they're kind of you know trading whizzes because they've made a couple of great decisions in a bull market but inevitably you wind up you know, Buying high, buying high, selling low, uh, rinse, repeat. And the more you do and the more you fiddle, the worse off you are likely to be. And the amount of like research that's out there on this is just staggering, right? Um, it taps into every little 
like lizard brain part of our of our brainstem, sure. right? Uh, the fear when you see things like falling, oh, like I like loss aversion, you know, uh, just uh, you know confirmation bias, uh, all kinds of things where we just we start to believe that we're geniuses because we got lucky after eight coin flips or whatever, and we <laughs> and then and then we we believe that we're immortal fear because we see you know a little bit of red on our screen. One of the like right. so many so many things we were able to sort of. Uh, pioneer uh, because we were kind of unshackled from those revenue incentives because we didn't make more money if people traded more. We re- mm-hmm. we removed the colors. You know, usually you'd go to a brokerage account, and you'd see green and red, and you'd see all kinds of moving. These things are down. These things are up. And like intraday, and we were able to kind of like, if you want to know how things are performing, you can keep clicking and like going deeper and deeper into your account, and you'll see that. But we're never going to use red because that's a that's a behavioral tactic. Like that's a that's a cognitive hack to like to drive your fight or flight. You know, so uh, the huh. fact that we happen to have launched right on the tail of financial crisis, which actually kicked off this like really long sustained bull market, that was you know that was good timing. Um, I think John had an amazing idea and built an amazing team, but you know. It, all these things are sort of necessary, but not sufficient. You you also need a little luck always. You know, any business that that manages to find success at scale, we got lucky in many many ways. Some ideas come too early. You know, some some sure. ideas sure. suffer, yeah. from, et cetera. Right. But I think as we have uh, uh, with a decade plus under our belt and kind of seeing the various trends come and go, like oh, this year its energy is down. Well, you know, some previous year, whatever, something was up. Uh, the U.S. markets are up. Sure. International markets are down. Through all of this, the the right strategy, and as fiduciaries, as financial advisors, that we that we we advise to our clients and we build our technology and all the UX to kind of encourage good financial decisions is to stay the course. You know, stick with a plan and don't fiddle just because of what you see in the news. So it's really fun to definitely talk about how Tesla has done and how you know some particular green energy fund is is you know off to the races but it's when it comes to like a broad investing solution for retirement it all of this stuff for better or for worse is is noise and it it can distract people from those goals but what when it comes to something beyond purely returns when it comes mm-hmm. to feeling like you are also leveraging your savings however great or small towards something that is you know a greater cause things get more interesting because you are no longer really it's no longer sufficient to just diversify across every single stock you know across the globe every single bond hold the entire global portfolio which is effectively what you know modern portfolio theory won a nobel prize suggests is you know the best risk adjusted return to long term investing this this whole ESG socially responsible you know sustainable impact there's all these words nobody really quite knows uh, what any of well most people don't know they do all sure. have technical definitions but the jargon is part of the problem right it's it's a, it's an yeah. entirely new landscape and there are so many lagging indicators uh, around sure. what people think the trade offs that are involved and uh, what what people are even seeking some people think. They're trying to integrate their values and and feel like they're a part of the solution, not of the problem. Other people think they're actually chasing alpha, so like you know, outsized returns. They think, well, by by putting a bet, you know, placing a bet on 
companies that are more you know carbon ready uh, transition transition prepared, I'm actually going to beat the market. Sure. If you ask if you ask the average investor who is interested in sustainable investing, well, which is it? Do you want to feel like you're not part of the problem? Do you want to proclaim to the world you're part of the solution? Do you think you're going to make more money this way? Depending on how you've asked the questions, the answer might be yes to all of them, right? So right. there's a lot of there's still a lot of uh, uh, there's need for kind of clarity to tease these things out. But I think the biggest challenge is that a lot of this terminology initially it, it originated from the institutional world. So you've got you know the way I, I joke about this is kind of like when you read a paper about sustainable investing, you can imagine like a bunch of like Belgian technocrats like talking to a Norwegian sovereign wealth fund manager right. or something. And and like right. it is just, it's all like it's 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 all rather technical and rather precise and very, you know, uh very academic. And like Betterment has a team of people that uh you know are domain experts and they can parse through all these things. Uh sure. but for the general public, you know, this is these acronyms and these these terms, they just they keep a lot of people on the sidelines because they're not really designed so to appeal. Yeah, I mean, what is what is ESG like? Do sure. do most people know what that even stands? for? I mean, before yeah, and it's like before you even get to ESG, we have to talk about the fact that I mean, you know, we've got scientists and and uh, CEOs of BlackRock and like you said, Norwegian uh, <laughs> fund managers who, who we don't we can't even define what net zero means versus uh, you know forty other terms that sort of mean the same thing but don't. And like you said, that's leaving a lot of people out in the cold because there's people that are honestly trying to understand it that are having a pretty tough time with it. And that's before we get into actual regulations and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and Betterment launched our first uh, offering that attempted to, you know, kind of speak to our customers' values and integrate those values uh, into their investments. In 2017, we launched a uh, socially responsible investing portfolio and it, it i mean it, it was it was clear from talking to our customers that this was important to them uh and we definitely saw some interest but uh there was this kind of sense in the investing industry that you know what like values driven investing it's just one of those things that people say they want but you know when push comes to shove they don't really want it and sure. and and sure enough like you know our initial uptake was modest, right? We certainly we certainly heard a lot of interest that wasn't necessarily translated into like real adoption, um, mm-hmm. but it did it did start kind of you know it, it grew steadily and we continued to iterate on the offering and and make it sure. like more and more values aligned. But you know a lot of other stuff was happening in the world and 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 for betterment and it just kind of it was there and it was it was growing, but it wasn't the main. Uh, story. It wasn't grabbing uh, a lot of attention internally, um, at, at, as far as like something we needed to like focus on even more. Sure, but also you could only do as much as 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 society and the world will let you. Which is like you said, what does ESG even mean? Much less in 2017. What, what does ESG you know? mean? <laughs> Good question. So so ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. Don't ask why that, you know, what is that, a sentence or a phrase or sure. <laughs> it doesn't quite, uh, but, but I mean, it is, it is a, it is a rather, rather bloodless, but very precise description of these yeah. three pillars along which a company can be evaluated on its environmental impact, on its social impact and its governance. So here we're talking about, I don't know, like, is the CEO, um, 
best friends with uh, I don't know with 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 the board uh, chair sure. or right. are there is there are there two two shares of two classes of stock where uh, you know the founders or like management gets an outsized amount of votes compared to kind of like general public that's holding common stock. Governance governance is basically like you know best practices for how to avoid conflicts and make sure that everyone's accountable. Um, and it you know in many ways like I've one one a, a good friend of mine uh, Tanya Swedler who who's uh, head of ESG at, at a company called Morningstar, she she told me uh, the way it really should be described is it's governance of of environmental and social issues. But the fact that it's kind of arranged as these like three separate components, it's it's kind of confusing. Um, but most importantly, it doesn't really speak to an uh, like an ordinary, you know, a layperson who is an expert in something else. We all, you know, have our expertise. We all have jobs, uh, you know, or activities where we know something better than others. But this particular thing, it only speaks to the technocrats, right? It, it speaks to to the domain experts in investing, and so I think one of the things that we at Betterment. Uh, didn't quite see very clearly is that by launching this offering, and you know, we used the, the acronym SRI, socially responsible investing, which has its roots kind of in the older, uh, uh, you know, divestment movement. Uh, so, uh, socially mm-hmm. responsible investing was associated with, uh, you know, the South African uh, the campaign to divest from South Africa right back in the eighties to battle apartheid. Uh, it also is, it, it goes even deeper and it talks about some of the kind of religious values driven uh, investment mandates. So we're talking like kind of the, the vice, ex-vice strategies where maybe if you are uh, halal, right, you don't invest in, uh, you know, interest bearing uh, instruments, right? Because sure. Islam Islam has, uh, you know, prohibitions against uh, against that. Or you know maybe uh, the Mormon community, uh, Christian community at large, will will try to shun you know alcohol stocks, tobacco stocks, gambling sure. stocks, things like that. Um, so these are kind of you know uh, very uh, you know strong lineage going back to the 20th century and even earlier uh, in terms of kind of retail investing. But then uh, you know headed into the 21st century, we're really dealing with a mishmash of concepts. Uh, that are increasingly centered around the like really you know social justice, climate, and well you know climate justice as the kind of the culmination of of all of these sure. uh, sets of yeah. values. Um, and and one of the mistakes that we made, I think, at Betterment is assuming that if we put this thing out there and hey, it does all these things. ESG, the E stands for environment, the S stands for right. social, and if people aren't like responding to that with that. Crazy sort of uh, you know fervor that that you know industry analysts that bright write like breathless pieces uh, oh like this year is the year of ESG millennials love ESG like blah 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 well it must be like it must be the customer's fault right that they're not sure. you know picking up but really I mean, I think what we what we've been missing is we because this is an emotional issue inevitably right you are tapping into someone's deepest held beliefs and. Uh, it, it, it is our responsibility, I think it's the industry's responsibility to, to meet customers halfway and actually speak in, in a language that resonates um, sure. and, and, and kind of move away from this technical jargon. And I think right. that is really what, for me, in, in 2019, was, was 
it dawned upon me as, as a kind of hypothesis. And then it really grew into a revelation. Um, and that's so what led to, to how we approached that, the problem in 2020. Yeah, for sure. So, so, uh, talk to us about that moment. You, 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 uh, went to a protest with one of our very first guests and one of my heroes, uh, Dr. Johnson. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, so, you know, in, so night in 2019, uh, sort of, it was pretty hard to ignore what was going on in terms of just public awareness of uh, of climate change. Obviously, the people who are in, involved in this for 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 decades might kind of raise an eyebrow to that. But I think for the general public, it really was kind of a watershed year, right? Uh, I remember in the summer, just like the entire Amazon was burning, and yeah. it was actually oh, in the news. You know, people were paying attention. You know, you had. You had like Greta was like sailing across the ocean, speaking to the UN. You know, it, it was, there were things happening on a different scale in terms of in terms of public awareness. And uh, yeah, that winter, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, who is marine biologist, and uh, really, you know, she she hates when anyone suggests that she is a a climate change scientist, but she's certainly mm-hmm. a climate change expert. Uh, because while her PhD is in marine biology, you know, she likes to say the ocean is a pretty big part of the climate. Sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll take her word for it. Seems plausible, right? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, she, she invited me to, to a protest in D.C., uh, something called Fire Drill Fridays, which was uh, a, a partnership between uh, Jane Fonda and Greenpeace and a bunch of other folks mm-hmm. to effectively just march on the Capitol Every every Friday, every week, and mm-hmm. and and draw attention to climate change and and, and call for for action. Uh, and one of these, I think, the very last one uh, in the series, was focused on the role of financial services institutions uh, in in climate change. And so, Ayana invited me, and I, I thought to myself, "Well, this is just a little too." on the nose. And I, I, I think I need to make, make time to, to actually hop on the train and, you know, I've, I'm, I'm based in New York and head down to right. DC for this. Sure. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm not, uh, I've never considered myself an activist. I, I, I still don't. I, it's very, and I think the reasons for that, I've, I've tried to like interrogate myself on this. Like, what is it about that okay. word and that concept? Like, why why have I never tried that on for size and, and still refuse to in many ways? I think, you know, having grown up in the Soviet Union, honestly, it has something to do with it. Um, sure. I would imagine. It's just, it, it, you know, my parents were always on the, the, the quote unquote right side of history, right? They were, they definitely they traveled in circles, which included dissidents. They themselves were not active, but... It was understood that the you know the system was bad and wrong and it needed to change. But the idea that individuals would somehow you know alone or together you know effect any kind of change was that's not that's not what history suggests in Russia, right? That's sure. not. Yeah. Uh, in in fact, you know, the, like my parents and and just the entire like Soviet generation, you they're so. It was beaten into them that like you have to keep your head down and that you don't make you don't draw attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, only bad things can come of those who draw attention to themselves. And history, you know, proved that over and over. And to the extent that activists did something in the Soviet Union, they were martyrs. So, so activism wasn't a thing that uh, people thought. Oh, hey, that's a that's a great way to spend your time uh, because you're going to feel good about yourself and you're going to change the world. 
It's like, no, you're going to be a martyr and it's noble, but it's, but it, you're not really going to accomplish much. You just, sure. and, and, and I think, I think I didn't realize to what extent that really sunk into, into my psyche. I mean, I, I, I moved here as a kid and I grew up without the fear. I wasn't afraid of, of speaking up, but I think deep, deep down inside, there was this understanding that, well, you can't really change anything though. It's, no, no, you know, the Soviet Union eventually collapsed. It wasn't, there's no clear attribution as there is in the civil rights movement, right? Or uh, sure. even someone like Ralph Nader, who really single-handedly, you know, did, did amazing things in the 60s and 70s and 80s for, for consumers, right? Around safety, like real, like amazing accomplishments for, for the public good. That, those stories didn't really exist where I came, came from. And so mm-hmm. I think implicitly, I never thought of myself as someone who should be trying to change anything because that's just not how the world works. I grew up so, here and I don't think I can change much. Well, yeah, right. I mean, because because you can't, right? But like <laughs> it it but it but you can potentially change something, particularly yeah. in 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 concert with other people. Like even that is is a concept that I think Americans mm-hmm. uh, th- thankfully are lucky enough to take for granted that that's like a thing you can imagine. I want to talk about the the yeah, your guys is climate impact portfolio because, you know, I know index funds are supposed to be simple and that's why they're appealing. But I, I would imagine that building a portfolio of funds strictly optimized, you know, for divestment or uh, capitalizing on on electrification and, and new energy giants isn't, you know, so easy yet anyway. And that's what that's what your portfolio seems to try to do though, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so I think before I went on a, on a tangent, uh, <laughs> we love no, tangents. I mean, I'll go down. I will literally go down those rabbit Hell holes yeah. all day. The idea, yeah. the idea behind this portfolio was born that weekend when Ayana took me to this protest. And yeah. I remember hearing all around me, like it was, it was just, you know, divestment, 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 like we must divest. And I thought, okay, well, now I'm here sort of as an observer, you know, I'm, I'm learning about this and I appreciate the simplicity of this message, you know, I, I love like distilling something into a simple message, but I knew, I just, you know, I, I'm like, quote unquote, I know too much. Right. And so I'm just like, Oh God, it's not that simple. Uh, you can't just mm-hmm. divest from stuff that really mm-hmm. doesn't do the thing you want it to do. You know, for the most part, I, I kept this to myself, but Ayana and I talked all weekend. Uh, I mean, she's just, she's so, so, so thoughtful and, and, uh, intelligent and curious about all of the fields, you know, adjacent and not adjacent to hers. Um, and she really sort of pushed me to think a little bit about, okay, well, if it's not that simple, what, what then are people supposed to just not do anything with their investments because quote unquote divestment is just not enough. Uh, and that I really took that as a challenge. You know, I, I took that back, uh, back to New York and back to Betterment. And I just, I, I started churning on it. I'm like, all right, well, I, there's a lot of complexity here and I'm happy to go into why divestment in particular is on its own kind of doesn't quite do the thing that people want to think that it should do. People want to mm-hmm. accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most importantly, I thought, you know, complexity aside, what was simple to me was that there was an energy and an emotion and, and a momentum kind of out, on the streets, right? Like these thousands of people were mobilized. Yeah. To, sure. to, and, and why are we not tapping into this energy? If everybody cares this much, why is our, you know, these, the sole kind of social responsible offering 
sort of flying under the radar. Like we're missing something, right? And the most obvious thing I could, it, like, if I could summarize it, I was like, where's the word climate? You know, it's that simple. Like, why is the word climate not in any of our kind of copy, in any of our literature? Why are we selling this as a, like this broad kind of jack of all trades, socially responsible portfolio? Yes, like the E stands for environment, the ESG themes that kind of permeate like the methodology, like it's all in there, but it, sure. but where's the word climate, right? It's that, it's right. that. And, and so just coming from that, it's like, well, what would the climate impact? What would a climate aware portfolio look like? And that's when we kicked off, you know, I mean, this is dozens and dozens of people working for, you know, six months, uh, kind of trying to understand. So if we were to focus a portfolio specifically on addressing mitigating climate change, what would that look like? separate from kind of a, a broad values-based ESG portfolio that tries to do everything, right? Sure. Because um, you can imagine, right, there's a company out there, like, you know, so definitely uh, addressing, uh, you know, systemic discrimination, like, you know, inequity with respect to, you know, marginalized groups, whether it be sexism, racism, like those are all things that investments can also address. And we do have a social impact portfolio that focuses on that. Um, but, you know, Exxon has three women on its board, right? Um, sure. If you're if you're if you're screening for ter- certain kinds of attributes, there ultimately are going to be trade offs between which of these pillars—the environmental, the social, the governance—which you care about most. And okay. I could tell that some people, for some people, well, a lot of people, <laughs> I, w- I would wager, I think the climate crisis is a single issue type of thing where it's like, this is the thing I care about most and I will, I will respond to this. And so, Mm -hmm. so we kind of set upon uh, this, you know, research and development journey where we thought, Mm -hmm. so what would a climate specific portfolio look like? Um, And we found a lot of really interesting things and we, we, we kind of dug into this space and we, what we realized is the more we learn, the less certainty there is as far as, what the right approaches are, because now you have to interrogate uh, not only what customers want and what they respond to, but what is actually going to meaningfully and in good faith address, you know, like actually drive the kind of change that these customers are telling us they want to accomplish. And still dealing with, yeah, just saying, and still operating from a table stakes where, like we said, the vernacular and, and the the lack of of rigor and transparency around uh, around measurement and these risks, again, you know, from ESG to to TCFD, you know, you're operating on a level where those still aren't established, but you're still trying to build something that does the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the simplicity of divestment, right, is it's just it, you you're faced with this absolutely, you know, terrifying, intractable problem. People feel people feel powerless to stop it, right? And divestment is satisfying and simple. It's like, well, I'm just going to knock these things out or not buy them in the first place, right? right. Um, unfortunately, you know, the way that capital allocation works, and this is this is the real insight here, right? Is that as you're a retail investor, if you're saving for for retirement and you know your 401k, putting away whatever you can, uh, you are you are a part of the capital allocation system, right? Your money is being invested in equities, in fixed income, in, and it is being channeled as part of the general capital allocation 
flows of the world, right? So you're you are participating in that system, and you know, in order to ensure financial security for yourself, you should be because that is how we that 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 is how we we do this in the system that that we live yeah. in, right? Um, for better or for worse, yeah. Uh, and uh, and and while you are participating in that allocation of capital, you might as well apply your preferences uh, as to how that capital should be allocated. Sure. And the challenge with divestment is it tends to be very easy to... Uh, the term greenwashing is um, is thrown around a lot, right? And I sure. think it means... I don't know. What does it mean to you guys? Like, what's, what, 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 do you, what do you think of when you hear that term? Well, I mean, I've, I'm sure I've got my super biased, judgmental answer about it. Brian, Brian do you want to talk about what it means to you? I was hoping that that you would, and then I would go same. Great. I mean, <laughs> greenwashing. I mean, again, I, this is one of those rabbit holes I can keep going down. I mean, we can talk about uh, you know greenwashing for the sake of uh, companies seeing their net zero, but not talking about how they're going to deal with scope three emissions. But we can also talk about greenwashing from the effect of you know Twitter allowing ads, you know, from from fossil fuel companies that are that explicitly how to put this, uh, you know, do not tell the truth and, and the journalism that has cropped up to, to investigate that and, and discover that as best as it can, you know, it's, uh, it's an industry. I mean, it's greenwashing has effectively been happening since, I mean, I mean, there's been versions of greenwashing forever, right? From the cigarette companies to, to the car companies, to utilities, not taking credit for their power lines, starting wildfires, but yeah, like I mean, like I said, it's both broad and and pretty damning, but it is one of the bigger issues I think we're contending with, whether it's whether deliberate or, you know, a polished PowerPoint. Um, yeah, it's it's massively massively influential. It's a fancy term for misrepresentation. Yeah, I feel like it's but that yeah, term absolutely. is sort of new to me, but it sounds like uh, it's just the same bullshit that's been happening forever. <laughs> you know, and and the challenge with that is, you know, there's a powerful incentive, a temptation to, to to omit to the point of misrepresenting when uh, when the real thing to explain is hard, right? So you can you you can talk about greenwashing where done in bad faith, where mm -hmm. people are just like legit, like you know, hiding the ball, right? Or sure. you can, but on the other side of the spectrum is, you know, if you're trying to explain to a to a retail investor how this portfolio or some product you're offering them does the thing they they want it to do. Uh, it's really simple to just kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Like we, Exxon, gone, right? Like uh, right. whatever, yeah. Conoco, gone. Like all those bad companies that you see like on the, the, the gas stations, all those logos, they are not in your portfolio. Here you go. You have a, you know, environmentally conscious portfolio. Now, now, Pay me my fees, sure. please. And right? for a lot of folks, that that actually does on a very superficial level, like check their box. Sure. Right. But I think most people who come to, you know, investment managers, uh, to financial services companies for uh, and tell them that climate matters to them, right. I think they want more than that. I think they want more than just kind of that sense of satisfaction. Right. Well, and that's what I love about your blog post is you were very explicit about like, this isn't going to get it done. Like the thing that you think is divestment and this is why and this is also how we're approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think because I think greenwashing on its like, in it, in its, in its least kind of, in its most generous form, is just an uh, an unwillingness to tackle the complexity and the sort of I don't know nascent stage of all of this methodology in this entire sustainable investing ecosystem. And 
I, I mean, I came into this with, uh, you know, I think the kind of humility that befits a novice. And like, the more I learn, the more humble I feel like I become because it's just, if you are out there selling certainty, then you are just, engage, you're inevitably going to engage in some form of greenwashing, right? It, it, there's just no, there are no easy answers. And, and I think the only way to, to both give customers a sense that their values are being represented and also like not, not, not misrepresent that is to cop to that complexity and say, look, we're not done here. This is a process, right? Just like, just like, just like addressing climate change is a many, many year, multi-decade process. Sure. So, so I think we'll be, you know, investing aligned with your values. I, I don't think it'll take decades, but I do think it'll take years. Right. But it is also, like you said, important to just, and, and I appreciate that again, you know, in, in your blog post and the way you've, you've talked about it. And, and obviously third party press is going to take it the way it is, but it's important to be as transparent as you can about the, both the strategy and the, the machinations of how these things work, because, um, People invest with us with some people come to it with excitement and some people come to it with outside expectations. Certainly after the past 10 years, um, it seems like it's literally anybody can make money doing it. Um, but, but there's also, there's also fears depending on how you were brought up to manage money or what your economic situation might've been. And, and there's risk. And, and so while, while obviously there's more ways for people to invest in their values now, and that's going to become more definitive as we go along and define some of these things. And there's more ways to participate in, in huge growth opportunities. We've also never seen, and this is something I'm curious about how you guys carry forward. And obviously you're not just going to set this portfolio up and pick a couple of funds and leave it. There's really never been um, practical risks like what we're looking at. You know, some, some companies are going to be more exposed than others, but risks to, to, to physical assets um, across the board, across the country, are, are real. I mean, you look at what FEMA flood maps are doing to rewrite insurance exposure in the Midwest, right? Or fixed income and mortgage-backed securities. It's a it's a whole new world with with something like sea level rise, and we've got all this incredible earth science data, and and it's open source and it's almost live, and and so it's interesting because I and I try to I'm, I'm try, keep trying to exercise this this muscle of holding things in two different things in my hands, which is. There, there are companies that must be terrified because they're very exposed and they don't know how to deal with scope three emissions. Uh, on the other hand, and you've got companies like IKEA and Apple who are saying we're transparently going to try to take those on as as exponentially large as they is as they are. But there's also probably some 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 banks and 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 asset managers who are who are sincerely, you know, trying to figure out how how do we lead and revolutionize credit underwriting and, and risk management, right? Um, how are we going to use all this new data to stress test climate impacts and um, and trying to get ahead on the bonds and the green financing? And I know you guys included that as a as a platform in, in the portfolio, you know. But it but the but these risks, you know, again they're, they're in every direction. I wrote this post called like What Are You Exposed To? And it's it's so much more complicated than it's ever been, you know. But microchips are in short supply, so socks is great, uh, but EVs haven't even taken off yet. You got copper and cobalt's going crazy. Um, but at the, on the other hand, the U S is almost completely dependent on, on China's clean energy supply chain for, for both EVs and, and, and solar panels, m much less other rare earth minerals. Um, you know, it's going to take a lot to, 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 
to be proactive and be transparent with folks um, as much as you guys are try to try to automate these things for people to to say like look we're going to track these practical risks and these developments and we're going to incorporate them into the portfolio because you can't just divest from Exxon. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that we tried to sort of it, the, the 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 primary balancing act for us is to recognize that well, divestment I I do think it has a place in 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 a climate portfolio. I think it is it sort of it speaks to that to that energy and that momentum that is you know, I think, I think, I think activism, the more I kind of appreciate, like, what is the, the, the value and the role of like the voice in the streets, it's, it's to change the laws, right? It is ultimately sure. to build, build public support around legislative reforms, because mm-hmm. as long as certain activities are legal and profitable, then capital will flow to them inevitably. And in fact, the more you divest from a legal and profitable activity, the higher the returns for the people that remain willing to invest, right? So it's it's this kind of, it's this iron logic of of capital allocation mm-hmm. where like you know increasing the cost of capital for for a legal profitable activity means increasing the expected return for the a financier that's still willing to do it. So it kind of sure. it, it's there's like self correcting mechanism that the market has where like the more you the more you push away, the more profitable it is to actually finance, and therefore you know. What, but what, why does it matter still to 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 cry, divest at a at a protest? Because well, in order to break that cycle, you have to make those activities not legal, not profitable. Sure. You could do that through laws, right? You won't be able to do that with your investment account, especially because no one will hear. You know, when a university or a sovereign wealth fund or like Bill Gates says, you know what, like I'm divesting, that actually. It continues a conversation that amplifies a, a signal in public discourse, which does lay the groundwork for legislation. But sure. you, in your brokerage account, saying, "Well, I'm not going to buy these stocks," you know, nobody's going to like that. That signal doesn't travel anywhere. Um, sure, and it feels good, but exactly, exactly. And but I, but but I, but I, but I think you know we're convinced that like feeling you should feel good about your portfolio. By the way, right? You should sure. feel good about what you're doing of with course. your money. But but I think people want more than that, and I think that the challenge is that the, the the more than that, the more sophisticated kind of methodology that recognizes that every company in the global economy has a carbon footprint, and mm-hmm. that we need to rank score companies based on how they're managing that footprint, and that needs to be done relative to their peers in the space. So you know, uh, if you're I don't know a operator, a mall operator, well you there there are mall operators out there that are intentionally sort of like managing their carbon footprint to be the best in class, right? Should, if you are diversifying across, you know, every industry, whether it be, you know, like aerospace or uh, tech or, or, you know, commercial real estate, there's a leader in every sector that is doing the best in that, in the context of what, you know, that business activity uh, generates, right? And so overweighting sure. those leaders and, and steering capital towards them, underweighting those that are lagging and potentially excluding entirely those that are like just laggards uh, irredeemably, that is a methodology that actually addresses the entire global economy, right? Because, because what we really care about is, you know, is, is actual emissions across every single industry, not potential future emissions in the form of fossil fuel reserves, right? That's a that's a blunt tool to say we're just not going to you know invest in anything that has a giant that owns a giant pool of like petroleum, sure. sure. But like 
what about you know the people that are already burning it <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. and so and so trying to combine those two approaches into a single portfolio and say like some of your some of your funds will be steered towards a divestment approach via these index funds and some of it will be sent at, towards kind of a carbon footprint approach which might uh, include energy companies that are part of the transition right that they are you know actively diversifying into renewable fuels you know that that are that have set a course that like we are you know we're we're diversifying out of these legacy uh kind of fossil fuel uh businesses and towards mm-hmm. renewables but that kind of transition takes time and you want to reward the management teams that have taken a big risk that have won an internal battle believe me sure. like it, it it's it's always a battle and it's a, fra- yeah. a fragile victory you want to make sure that that that, that those kinds of leaders are rewarded um and uh and so uh, you know that kind of approach obviously is uh, not internally consistent at a very superficial level with but we just kicked all these companies out you know by divesting right. from them right right um and uh, so how do you reconcile that? Well, the way you reconcile it is you say, you know what? Like this approach is evolving. Like we, we're trying to speak to both of these methodologies. Uh, we believe that you should be sending a vote for, for this, this approach as well as this approach. And by mm-hmm. way of investing through index funds, um, you, uh, you are voting because you're pooling your, your dollars with uh, with other investors, and and you know when you see when the financial services industry and the industries that you know are are invested uh, that, to whom like you know the the fund managers steer capital, um, when they see those those numbers go up, that suddenly now your signal is is being heard. Even if it's a hundred dollars, it's being pooled along with everyone else, uh, and and that's a signal that suddenly reaches its audience, right? Sure. And I, you know, it's interesting. I think you can also, and I come back to what you're saying, like you should feel good about your portfolio and, and, and talking about sort of this transformational change that's, that's happening and going to happen. You know, you can also reverse engineer that, um, in the sense that, I mean, I mean, someone signs up with your, with, with your climate portfolio, right. And, and they feel good and they've maybe read your post and they understand all the different ways you guys are attacking this from, from, all the ways that sustainable investing can be applied in this thoughtful way and it's going to evolve. But also helping them feel good is to understand that, I mean, again, like, look at, you can superficially look at, hey, this is how the power sector has done the past 10 years, right? Abysmal nightmare. But if you, if, unless you're in it day to day or you're excited, like you were saying how excited you are to deal with complexity and then dial it back down, you have to, you have to grasp that, you know, Geopolitical power has has been defined by fossil fuel discovery, uh, extraction, production, refinement, distribution for for a hundred years. Right, oil embargoes and uh, gas shortages are like entire eras in in history books. And there's been war and and there's been wealth and it's been iterated on. But that that model is literally ending. And you have things happening like solar power costs are. 50 years ahead of the IEA projections, right? But it's, so it's not just these like stocks and these companies and these workers and these executives that are are going out of business or that you're divesting from, or on the other hand, you're investing in, you know, entire economies are are going away. So, so passive or not, 
my, I guess my point is there, there's going to be shifts that make as someone, if you're 40, uh, you know, all of us are in the 35 to 45 range. So you've got, you're trying to, you're investing on a 25 year timeline or so. So you're not super aggressive. You're not super conservative, but in the next 25 years, there's going to make shifts that make even the most passive retail investors very fucking nervous. And it, it seems like instruments like these and transparency and being proactive, um, helping the basically hold their hands through this, uh, to help them focus on one of our big things is like what you can control and what you can't seems advantageous. I'm just trying to reverse engineer that and think of the benefits of why to do something like this, looking forward and going, we don't know much, but we do know a lot's going to change. Yeah. Look, I think the, I think this is, this is super early innings, right. For, for sustainable investing. I think uh, yeah. a, a ton of people who know all this stuff better than any of us could, could dream of, of, of learning are, will admit that like, we are just sort of setting out and figuring out what kinds of approaches actually capture the complexity of this investing. The beauty of index sure. funds is, is that, you know, as long as you are broadly diversified, you are not going to uh, really miss out on which sectors are, you know, surging versus which sectors, you know, might be kind of uh, on the way out. Uh, it's, all, it's all balanced out. That's the nature of like a market cap weighted approach. But there are a ton of really interesting uh, index funds that are in the works that are either just barely launched and haven't reached the kind of scale that that we would be comfortable with yet recommending because mm-hmm. we're assessing you know is this does this fund trade liquidly like is the liquidity sure. sufficient where we could you know put our customer into this is you know is is there sort of future is there a trajectory uh you know in a, in a good sh- in good shape that we don't think it's just going to like disappear in a year but some some okay. funds are targeting not just like like so beyond divestment we're talking about carbon footprint management beyond carbon footprint management we're talking like a more holistic like transition readiness scoring right the, uh, sure. so there 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 are funds that are that are kind of in the in the works that are going to be kind of ranking like well how ready is this particular company for a net zero economy and it would be sort of thesis that like the ones that are more ready are are going to perform better in the long term and that this is not not yet properly weighed in priced into their, you know, to their market prices. So that's a view, right? Whether or not like that is an interesting thing to incorporate, we'll evaluate, right? There are some other funds that are going to focus on shareholder engagement, which is, well, now that you bought the shares, what do you do with them? Like you actually negotiate with management and push them to, rather than just use your capital allocation kind of to like reward and punish by, you know, buying and selling, you can also then engage further and push for actual change by, by influencing management's decisions, there are funds that are going to be focused on that. So that's really interesting. And I think the way the approach we've taken with with our climate impact portfolio is from the very beginning, we've said this is a work in progress, and anyone who tells you otherwise is probably obfuscating, probably painting over some kind of complexity that might might you know complicate the story. Right? Yeah. We think it is a complicated story. We are here for you, and we are going to be working full time to continue to untangle the story. And as interesting options, as evidence, you know, like mounts that something should be included into this approach, we'll do that for you. Like you just tell us this matters to you, and we'll do the rest, right? And so that that really, I think, sets the right tone, which is to say, like we don't know what the answer is; we just know that this matters. And we're going to be working 24-7 to, 
to continue to drive this offering closer and closer to what you've told us is important to you? And I mean, I think the response to this has been really positive because it's just, I don't know, it's just honest, you know, like we don't know how else, how else to message the fact that something (laughs) is both important and yet not fully formed. Um, that's Honestly, that's the best we can do. All you can do is be earnest about it. Yeah, you know, for um, instance, these the green I'll bonds that you mentioned, right? We so the, we are we are we did include an allocation to green bonds that kind of uh, directly finance environmentally beneficial projects around the world. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting fund uh, with like a lot of a lot of great like transparency and integrity, but. You know, that being said, you know, this is a world that's evolving quickly. The the SEC just appointed uh, the first ever, you know, ESG advisor. Uh, there are going to be new standards coming out that are going to be applied to the industry. Like what is, what constitutes a green bond? What constitutes like, you know, a good ESG yeah. score? All this stuff is going to evolve and we're paying attention very closely. So as more data becomes available and some, you know, decision that we made, we might want to revisit or some entirely new thing becomes available we're going to uh, be sensitive to that and we'll, we'll be doing that on our client's behalf. That's, that's kind of, that's our proposition, right? That we don't, nobody knows and we certainly don't exactly where this goes, but we'll keep adjusting along the way. That's all you can do. I love this. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, delete my acorns app off my phone and, <laughs> and switch to betterment as soon as this conversation is over. Um, Hell yes. Uh, I love, uh, I love acorns. Great company, by the way. Yeah. Oh, of good. Course, I have no, course, I have course. no idea what I'm doing. Um, uh, <laughs> Brian, sort of take us home to the to the last last third of this. Yes, our, our our the whole reason we do this, our action steps. Um, uh, yeah. So, Boris, as as we get into them, um, I'd like to just quickly talk about uh, y- your your background and role. We have you know plenty of scientists and policymakers in our community, investors and CEOs and farmers and astronauts. Uh, but there's also you know probably some folks who are still trying to to find their way in, into the climate fight. Um, you you got a JD and then you were a computer engineer for a few years before uh, joining Betterment, and you're the the SVP of operations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, is it typical that you'd be the the person to to write about the quantitative methodology behind your company's experimental new climate portfolio? No, I guess not. Uh, but then again, you know, startups kind of exist. Uh, to create atypical outcomes. Um, I think yeah, I've been sure. very fortunate to really pursue kind of what, what my personal passions are in light of, I think, what our customers uh, want. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I was a tax lawyer for a few years uh, out of mm-hmm. law school. And so I worked on Betterment's tax efficiency products for years. Uh, we have all mm-hmm. kinds of automated uh, services, you know, tax loss harvesting, et cetera, things that mm-hmm. really kind of try to, squeeze out as much return for our customers uh, while sticking to our, you know, broadly kind of diversified portfolio strategies. Um, I just, uh, I, I think I was fortunate enough that uh, my my interests kind of aligned with where uh, where it seemed like our customers were asking us to go. Um, I was, I was a, I was a computer science major coming out of college and, and, and was a software engineer for a few years before law school. I mean, I think, I think it's, just uh, these days, right? It's it's all done with computers nowadays. I think is the the expression. Um, <laughs> right. And so that just that that was just a helpful uh, you know foundation to. Right? I haven't written a line of code in I don't know a decade, 
but I know how it works. So I know, I know what it can do and what it can't do, generally speaking. Um, and then, you know, being a lawyer for a while and, uh, being able to kind of like parse through really dense regulations. Well, you know, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our business is heavily regulated and trying to understand where the rules are, why they exist, uh, how we kind of, how we structure our offerings in a way that, you know, are aligned with the policy behind securities regulation. That was obviously a big plus. And now as uh, things are emerging in this nascent space where it's not so much that there are laws, but there are principles, right? And and the law is just kind of an expression of, you know, I guess natural law, right? Is like there, there are things that, uh, you know, an average person uh, with, uh, with an average knowledge of the legal system uh, who, you know, never went close to law school, which is uh, good for them, right? Because they could avoid some serious <laughs> student loan debt. Um, Different conversation. They, 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 they understand, right, intuitively that, well, you're not supposed to misrepresent something. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, point to, you shouldn't say two plus two equals five, right? It, and hide your work. Like, and that, that's not, you don't need laws for people to like appreciate that don't do that, right? And so I think, I think uh, kind of as these principles around ESG are start coalescing into actual written guidance, like real regulations, it'll be a really interesting time, I think, to, well, certainly for me personally, <laughs> uh, to, to kind of apply whatever I've learned over the years uh, and also to leverage that and channel it into technology. I think technology, for, for good reason, you know, as it gets a bad rap these days, uh, because in many instances, it's not used towards you know uh, a a customer's well-being. It's not used towards the general public's interest. It's certainly not necessarily used towards kind of like in the interest of the planet. Um, but it can be, uh, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think just having the right incentives in place, having the right uh, business models, and kind of staying true to the course and making sure that you're you're aligned with those outcomes is the technology is just a tool, right? It, it, is, sure. it doesn't have a mind of its own. So how do we channel this tool uh, towards towards the, the change that we want to see? Um, that is where I see certainly Betterment's mission and, and my own personal mission as well. I love that. I mean, thanks. We're just always, you know, again, we've got all these incredible people that that, that listen and read our stuff, but there's always folks coming up in finance or, or law or engineering or <laughs> liberal arts like me trying to figure out how to, you know, they're trying to figure out how to operate inside or outside the box to to participate and drive this transformation or, you know, drive infectious disease planning or biotech or whatever it might be. So it's always so helpful to hear people think about how, how they got to where they are and where they're going. All right, Brian, finish this thing up. Let's get Boris out of here. All right. Um, yeah, Boris, we always like to, uh, like I said, uh, get into and finish with, with our, with our action steps. Yeah. Um, we always want to provide uh, uh, those to our listeners so that we can all support you and, and your mission uh, with uh, our voice uh, voices and our and our and our dollars. So let's get into that. Uh, starting with voice, um, what are big, actionable, and specific questions that we should all be asking of our representatives um, that to, to to help support your mission? Well. Boy, I have a lot of really, really very industry specific and technical thoughts on this. Uh, <laughs> we can just have no, everybody. No, I mean, but that's we, we try to make it as specific and as actionable as they can be. 
I think I think what's really interesting, what's an area for uh, sort of uh, there's room here for for real public advocacy is uh, I mentioned that kind of the the, the step uh, that is involved in that's kind of fundamental to index fund investing is that once you have selected kind of a, a fund manager that is managing according to your your values and according to that mandate, that fund manager then holds the right to vote your shares on your behalf. And there's some really interesting things uh, around that system where kind of the big fund giants that are, you know, the, the vanguards, black rocks of the world, they historically have not approached this voting duty as one of material importance, right? This used, This is kind of like housekeeping. It's just something that uh, an index fund manager doesn't think twice about. Uh, yeah. Now, but now that, now that like there are kind of, you know, <laughs> environmental issues at stake where there's, where there's real, uh, you know, a, a crisis where an investor might say, well, it's not just enough that you've allocated my money to this company and away from that company. I want you to use those shares to vote. Uh, the system isn't really designed for, uh, for, how, for a lot of transparency or accountability for how those fund managers vote. Uh, which is to say, you know, they they report their votes, you know, sometimes every quarter, sometimes a year later, um, and it, it. But people want to know, as these massive trillion dollar kind of entities are using their scale and leverage to influence companies, like how did you vote on this shareholder resolution? Why can't we know right away? The vote was four months ago. Like, why are we? Why do we, do we have to wait for like a report? Um, that summarizes all global activity, you know. Sure. And so, one thing that one thing that the government can do, uh, the SEC actually releases uh, the results of such votes via kind of a barely human readable feed uh, that will remind <laughs> you uh, of you know the early internet days. Um, but they also release it on a quarterly cadence, and it's not sh- it's not clear why they can't be releasing it in real time. You know, if someone, mm. uh, if some, if some, you know, uh, I don't know, if Procter and Gamble uh, has a shareholder resolution that um, that addresses uh, potentially, you know, deforestation initiatives across their supply chain, and that vote took place in October, I don't know, say October twentieth. Why wouldn't we be able to find out on October twenty first how all the shareholders voted? I'd sure. like to know, right. you know, and the SEC, I think, has the ability to 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 push out that information more or less in real time, which would, I think, drive accountability and force, you know, some of the big asset managers to kind of reckon with what that means that their voting decisions are becoming uh, kind of available in real time. I think some enterprising uh, tech savvy folks are going to build something very quickly around those feeds that create a mechanism for, you know, raising awareness around how these votes went. And uh, it would be a great advocacy tool, I think. No, I love that idea. I mean, if anything, you would think that would encourage more participation or at least public discussion about these sort of things because you're able to respond to them almost in the moment, as opposed to, like you said, looking up in quarter three and seeing that there was a vote in quarter two and going, well, that's been over for months now. Yeah, that's super compelling. I love that. Uh, Boris, what about their dollar? You know, how should people be, you know, besides participating in your climate impact portfolio and, and that's, you know, the answer yep. as well, but you know, what's, what's the smartest thing for people to be doing here, uh, from your position? I mean, look, I think, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not on here trying to like advertise our product. Uh, so thank you for the, for the plug, but I think, for sure. I think I like first and foremost, people should be taking care of themselves. They should be um, 
putting money aside to make sure that they are in a position to prioritize uh, you know, something that is important to them going forward to give. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's so important for people to kind of like really, really carve out uh, a lot of their mind space when, when necessary to make sure that they're saving for retirement because people who are financially secure are people who then have the freedom to participate in, in movements that advance, you know, the things that, that we want to see. I like, I, I can't, I, I wish that this were not a problem, but I think you see these days, I mean, I know it's, it's hard. Uh, it's the pandemic and it's like overbearing student loan debt. And it's just kind of, you know, bleak, bleak prospects for, for a lot of folks, like across, across the economy. Uh, it's tempting to try to like find a way to like get rich quick, you know? And I think it's fun. It's fun to buy like a little bit of Bitcoin here and there, but some of the stuff you see that's been happening with, you know, these, the meme stocks and the the day trading, it's a little bit heartbreaking, you know, because it is, uh, it's one thing if you're really just having a little fun with some play money, it's another thing when you read the stories of, you know, someone basically taking out a third mortgage, you know, to, to, to speculate on something because like the ordinary folks that are playing this game are inevitably going to get hurt. And so I guess my, my, my answer is not what people should do, but what they shouldn't do is they, they should really try to stay away from things that promise you something that sounds like it's too good to be true because it almost always is. Yeah, that's the Willy Wonka it's story. So, there's so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly one of those people that is, uh, I don't have like a great relationship with money. I wasn't like raised knowing how to wisely use it, you know, and uh, when those things come around that seem too good to be true, you know, you, you, it's easy to bite, you know, and it's, it really is. Thanks for being so humble about not wanting to brag about your company, but like stuff like this and acorns, like I meant, you know, all that stuff is so helpful, I think to a bunch of people, because if it's helpful to me, it's probably helpful to them. It, it's just wonderful and so helpful to have around knowing that, you know, I, I have, my knowledge is very limited, at least I have this very easy way to like start trying to be smart with money. It's wonderful. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, that's super helpful. Uh, Boris, man, we can't thank you enough for, for what you're doing and how thoughtful you're being about it and transparent um, and, and for taking the time to come on here and um, all of that. Uh, just last couple quick questions that we fire through with everybody, if that's all right. Now it's time to have fun, Boris. Uh, easy, Brian. Easy. Uh, <laughs> Boris, uh, when was the first time in your life uh, when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I mean, it honestly, it yeah, it just put in those terms. It, probably just a couple of years ago when I when I realized that um, whatever it was that I was seeing out on, uh, you know, kind of in the streets, not, not to, not, I'm, I'm not exactly like out in the barricades, but just, just getting a glimpse at like, at what, like what street level kind of activist energy looks like and how there's a bridge between that and what we could do with our product. Um, and the fact that, you know, I was able to, to kind of convey that to my colleagues and, uh, and, and galvanize us towards, towards doing something more in this space. Like that felt really amazing to me. Um, Seeing seeing that kind of pay off, you know, more than a year later, it's been pretty pretty amazing experience. That's awesome. 
Um, Boris, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh gosh, uh, so many people. You know, um, you pick a favorite. I mean, honestly, it's uh, my friend Franklin Leonard. Uh, I talk to him all the time, and he is—he's got this. I don't know. He's got the fifteen years of of experience working kind of within an industry to actually try to change an industry, and uh, he's just—he has such incredible integrity and business sense, uh, and like his moral clarity is is just unparalleled. So. I think every time I think I have it hard, uh, I think about the the battles he's been waging in Hollywood, you know, to increase representation and diversity while speaking to companies' bottom lines ultimately and trying to make what should be a very obvious argument uh, and and uh, gradually kind of his message is being heard, but it's taken so long. And I think he's been an incredible friend and and uh, mentor and and sure. just uh, someone someone to to shoot the shit with. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I try to tell him as often as I can how, how much I, I, um, fail, um, but try to measure myself by him, uh, and my actions on a frequent basis. And it's a, it's a tough act to follow that guy. I mean, it's, uh, you know, through, through values and also through, I mean, nobody loves data like that guy. Uh, and, and he is, he wields it in such a powerful way. It's pretty awesome. Um, Frank Franklin is to Boris like Quinn is to Brian. Okay, let's get, let's finish. That's so great. I was hey, I was being honest. Thank you, um, Boris. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What is your you know self care? Your you time? Uh, I've been really into gardening these days. Honestly, I've got a I've got a terrace, and I just uh, I don't know. I grow like sunflowers and uh, and tomatoes in the summer, and and I just start kind of manicuring and picking leaves off of things when I feel like anxious and need to sort of center myself. <laughs> I just, I just go out and start, start, man, you know, start, start plucking dead leaves off of things and it helps. That's awesome. I love it. I want a garden. Um, uh, Boris, what, what's a book that you've read, uh, you know, this year or maybe in the past year, uh, that's opened your mind to, uh, a new topic that you hadn't considered before or, or that's changed uh, your your thinking in some way. We have a we have a really great big list of of recommendations from from past guests. Well, that. honestly, it's a, you know going back to to my friend Ayana. She edited a, an anthology uh, called All All We Can Save, which well, is yes, a collection familiar. of essays. Yeah, I mean, I read that book uh, sort of cover to cover uh, a, a few months ago when it came out, and it was just so refreshing to. You know, sometimes you start out as reading something like from a friend, like thinking, well, at the very least, I'll be doing them a nice favor. But like two pages in, I'm like, no, 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 this is I'm like the favor. She's the one doing <laughs> us a favor, right? Yeah, it just absolutely. It was so helpful to kind of hear such diverse perspectives uh, on on the climate change problem, the crisis, and how, how much amazing thinking uh, has been happening across literally every discipline. Uh, yeah. by women who I think are just, I don't know, the names in there I'm sure are all going to become, many of them are going to become very well-known people as yeah. we advance. Yeah. That's the goal. Um, all right, Boris, where can our listeners uh, follow you and uh, Betterment online? Uh, betterment.com. Uh, easy. <laughs> Double T. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, and uh, uh, my, my handle is uh, at Austin Boris, one word. Um, 
Awesome. Awesome, Boris. Awesome, Boris. Um, Boom. Well, listen, Boris, can't thank you enough, man, um, for your time and everything you're doing. And uh, look forward to 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 watching you guys help try to move the needle in, in the way that you can. Really appreciate yeah, it. It's been guys. really great. Awesome. Thank you, thank you so much, much for, for engaging on all this stuff and being thoughtful and uh, and, and caring. <laughs> giving a yeah. shit, I believe, is the... the yes, yeah. there we go. Right. Okay. Giving a shit, Boris. Yeah. All right, Boris. Um, we, will, uh, we will talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.